My guest today says there is an impending business succession crisis among small and medium-sized enterprises, and it's not without its own peculiar irony. Exiting in business can feel more like one more problem for the entrepreneur to have to solve on their own. In the same way doctors often make terrible patients, entrepreneurs continue to have a hard time exiting their businesses and monetizing one of their largest assets to secure their own retirements and preparing to leave a legacy. On this episode of the Executor Help Podcast, how to transition your business profitably and proudly. This is the Executor Help Podcast. Learn how to settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, go to davidedy.com. Now here's your host, David Edy. Well, with me today is George Hartman. His career as an entrepreneur, executive, coach, and consultant spans more than 45 years. He's also the author of Exit is Not a Four-Letter Word, How to Transition Your Business Profitably and Proudly. George, thanks for taking the time to be here on the Executor Help Podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, David, I am uh, delighted and honored to be here. So thank well, you for the opportunity. Well, your book is, is is a great read. And what jumped out at me at the beginning of, of the book is where you talk about why you wrote the book and you based it on observations to help and alert small business owners and small to medium-sized owners to a looming crisis that's that you hope to motivate only a, a few amount of people that might do anything about it. What is it about entrepreneurs that they don't really realize what's happening around them? Um, has things changed since COVID? What's in your opinion has, has made the difference? Well, COVID has certainly had an impact. And I think they're both some micro and macro um, kind of uh, um, observations that I would make. Uh, I would say that on a, on a macro level, uh, you know, we've always lived in a world of change, but I'd say the rate of change today has accelerated exponentially. And as a consequence, many entrepreneurs, in my experience, are being caught unaware. Uh, so we have, you know, wildly escalating consumer expectations, for example. Um, we have uh, technology disintermediating some of the traditional value proposition that business owners offered out to their customers. Uh, there's a margin squeeze generally all over the place uh, where profits are harder to come by and then sustain. So at that level, I think there are <clears throat> there are things going on around us that, over which obviously we have no control, um, but we want to the extent we can mitigate the impact. At, at a micro level, a more uh, zeroed in for our business owner perspective, I think it's in my experience an observation <clears throat> almost inevitable that as a business grows, it inevitably becomes more bureaucratic. Uh, and it becomes uh, to a point in many cases where an entrepreneur ends up more spending more time managing the business than practicing their craft that brought them into the entrepreneurial world in the first place. And many entrepreneurs, in my view, are not prepared for that. You know, I wanted to be a great doctor. I wanted to be a great lawyer. I wanted to be a great shoemaker, whatever it was. Uh, but now I have all these other issues, these macro issues putting pressure on me, the marketplace changing around me, my customers asking for more different things and so on. So it's, it's a constant turmoil. And I think to be able to step back from it periodically, assess it, take stock of where you are and try to determine what the next step is, it's going to become increasingly important. You You talk about in the book about the idea of succession planning. So 
break it down to, you know, for a lot of people, what's your definition of succession planning? Well, that's a great question because they're, they're actually, I, I approach it from two perspectives. Um, one we call succession plan and, uh, and the other one, or succession, yeah, succession plan and the other one I call exit strategy. So, and I define them this way, and this is not just a question of semantics, but uh, the different perspectives. Succession plan is what happens to the business when the founder is gone. And exit strategy is what happens to the founder when the business is gone. Right. And those two objectives often compete uh, because often what is good for the business is not good for the departing founder or vice versa. And I think we need to look at that when we're planning the eventual and inevitable, I would say, remind everyone, it's inevitable that someday you will leave your business the inevitable exit from the business that we need to deal with both perspectives, both the one that affects us personally and the one that affects whatever we leave behind. Yeah. So why is it so complex for entrepreneurs to get on board to think about, you know, the uh, the exit plan or the succession plan? I don't think it's difficult at all. Um, you know, in their quieter moments, there probably are some thoughts that everyone has around the, you know, the end game with respect to their business. Business. I, I think we get caught up very easily in, in what I call the terrible twos. Right. You know, I'm having too much fun. I'm too important to the business. Uh, it's too difficult. I'm too young. It's too soon. All of those things. But the really big one is to do what? What would I do if I didn't have to show up here every day? I was just on a conversation, a coaching call this morning with uh, with someone that with whom I'm working on their succession plan, and uh, you know, they said I've come to the realization through the conversations we have that I'd be really good at being retired for about 18 months and then I don't know what I would do after that right um, because you know for example my wife has come into the conversation and she says you know that tractor or that big truck you've been thinking of buying well you know once we have sold the business and when we're living on our uh, accumulated wealth I'm not sure you're going to be able to go out and buy that tractor or that new truck every time you want one uh, because it'd be drawing down on our retirement income and so on. When you said that 18 months, because a lot of people think about, well, you know, when I retire and I've sold the business, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to golf every day. And I think that's going to, you know, guess it's going to be great. Maybe, maybe you will lower your, your handicap, but in the same respect, that can get quite boring after a while and you may end up hating the game and just walk away from it so when people want to are, are want to do that make that transition do you feel that a lot of them psychologically are ready for the change and they don't know what's that what's next yeah and i think it's very important to differentiate or distinguish between the two two dimensions of of what i call succession or exit planning uh, and one is the is the financial side, right? And that's uh, we, in succession planning. When we're working with someone, we try to answer two questions. Number one is, am I ready to exit the business? And that is both a financial and an emotional decision, right? I have to calculate uh, the ability to have the retirement lifestyle I want after the sale of my business, right? And for some people who've accumulated substantial value in their business or accumulated wealth outside their business that's an easier decision to make. The emotional one is often far more difficult. And you know, if I've spent 20, 25, 30 years pouring my heart and soul into this business, 
you don't just toss your keys on the table and walk out at five o'clock on some particular Friday afternoon. It's a big deal. And for many people, if they don't have confidence in what the other side looks like, in other words, what happens the day after and what happens a year after and five years after and 10 years after, you know, with, with uh, advances in medical technology, for example, it's not inconceivable that someone retiring at 65 or 70 even would be retired for 25 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so how am I going to fill those hours once the afterglow of retirement has kind of faded? Based on your coaching, do you see that people struggle with that, especially not with the, you know, the the exit plan, but what am I going to do next? And, you know, now they're home and do their relationships with their significant other, their children, their grandchildren. Do all of those relationships seem to change because now they're around a lot more than they usually would be because they had a business? Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I recall when my father retired, my mother's expression was, gosh, now I got twice as much husband and half as much income. All right. And so it wasn't, in her view, the best arrangement. And it, it's important that you mention that because, again, uh, often people will make, entrepreneurs in particular, because they're used to making their own decisions and running their own business in the way that they want, will make a decision about exiting all by themselves without consulting the family and the impact on them and others around them. Uh, you know, do they want, you know, dad or mom home every day? And do they want them, you know, heading off? Uh, you know, I, I have a young son who's in school and he, he likes to play basketball. I'd love to go and watch his games, right? But he doesn't want me to go and watch all of his games <laughs> because I make too much noise in the stands or something. I'm not I sure hear you. I know. I know how that goes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the decisions aren't made in isolation. You have to think about the other stakeholders in your life. Why do you believe that that succession planning is not an event, but more of a journey? Well, it, I think it should be. Let me rephrase that and say that I think it should be a journey and not an event. As I said, it's hard. You know, I think a slow walk across the bridge to retirement is better than a 50-yard dash. Uh, in my experience, when we first started coaching people on succession planning or exit planning, you know, it was usually a 12 or 18 month time horizon from the day they said, OK, until the day they wanted to, to walk out. Now, five to 10 years is not uncommon at all. And people have come to realize there's just a lot to be done. Uh, you know, we have to find the uh, we have to prepare the business, first of all, maximize the value of the business so that I can enjoy the retirement I want as a result of selling the business. Uh, number two, make sure that my customers or clients, however you describe them, are left in good hands. Make sure that the person who takes over my business is the right person to do it because they are going to become the custodians of my legacy. Right? You know, I I remember way back when when I started in a, in a new position inside a fairly large financial institution, and the second day I was being wandered around meeting all the executives and. And one of them, who eventually became my my greatest uh, mentor in world in the world, said to me, "You know, George, we're not going to know the true value of the work that you do for us until two years after you're gone." So that was my legacy was going to be two years after I was gone. Well, I think if anyone has run a business for some period of time, they've created a legacy, and you know we don't necessarily want a you know a monument of us up on a charging horse in the park erected to us. But we do want to be remembered favorably. Yeah. And if we have felt a close affection, again, it depends on the intimacy of the client or customer relationship. But 
if we have felt that close relationship, we want to be sure that they're looked after. It's interesting you use the word legacy. Do a lot of people think about the legacy? And is that what sometimes will hold them back? Because they don't they they don't think someone could handle or take care of the business like they could. And uh, it is an issue. And 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 you and I have both heard so many stories, I'm sure, about people that just basically just decided it was time, locked the door and walked away for that very reason that they didn't feel that anyone would carry on in the way. And, and you know, quite possibly that's true because, you know, the, the fire in the belly and the determination that the founder of a business have had uh, when they started and through the 20 or 30 years or whatever it was, they ran the business may not be replicated in every potential buyer. Right. Uh, and so, you know, if, if you do feel that sense of responsibility um, to, uh, those who have relied on you in the past, and sometimes you might feel it's better to lock the door and walk away. Does does that mean that sometimes that because the business is it's like a a, a separate entity and it's you know it's derived it brought on this the goods and services it provided income for a great amount of people and create a lifestyle for the owner, but you know the the legacy and not thinking that someone or believing that someone could do what they could do replicate like what you're saying does does ego sometimes get in the way and then maybe you're you know by just closing the door and walking away you're actually um leaving money on the table yeah well and and you do leave money on the table obviously there's always some value in a business that that could be realized um <clears throat> the the ego issue is is a very real one it goes back to the comments earlier about the emotional readiness to exit the business uh, you know, if 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 you imagine, you know, I say sit down and ask yourself some questions like, how important is it to me to be the boss? How important is it to me to have people come to me for advice or decisions? Uh, how important is it to me to be recognized in the community as a successful business person? And if those types of things are important to you, then from an ego standpoint, that may be very difficult to deal with. So when do you can should you be starting to make that decision if your ego's in the way? Things can come up in life. There could be um, health issues. It could be a divorce. There could be uh, um, you know maybe a partnership breaks down. At some point, what when should you make that decision? Do, or or do do most people who decide to take the journey of um, succession planning do it before they're forced to do it? Uh, regrettably, I would say no. Although, you know, there's generally a much heightened awareness uh, of the need for a longer term approach to this. There's many entrepreneurs who won't won't act until they feel threatened in some way, either by an event or circumstance or something like that that causes them. And maybe it's a medical issue, as you said. Maybe it's a personal family issue, uh, you know, having having to look after aging parents and not having so much time to do it or a, a marriage breakup or partnership breakdown. Um, it Lots of things can trigger them to suddenly say, oh, my gosh, this is something I better pay attention to. I mean, for many entrepreneurs, of course, their business is their largest single financial asset. And as such, it it needs to be uh, protected. Right. And so how do I protect it? Right. I There's usually always some element of what needs to happen after the business 
for me to maximize the value out, whether it's an earnout or some payout schedule or something like that. So from a very practical standpoint. Uh, so the longer we have to think about that, the, the greater awareness we have of the need to plan, uh, which then translates into a longer planning horizon, uh, the better off we'll be. It allows you to take a strategic approach to exiting the business rather than either a forced or even a tactical one. Now, as a coach, you're you know working with entrepreneurs with the succession planning area. What are some of the mistakes that you see others doing that don't have some sort of plan or, or a coach? Well, I mean, there's one very special area that applies to entrepreneurs. It's it, it could be a narrow focus for your audience, but it's worth talking about because it provides other lessons. And that is a transition to a family member of the business from a parent to a child or a sibling or whatever it might be um, to trans transition the business off. A lot of mistakes happen there. You know, there's a mistake and I tell this story all the time. An entrepreneur that I was working with in uh, upper state New York um, had always assumed that as a husband and wife business, run business, uh, very successful, uh, always assumed that the son would take over and the son, you know, went through that spent his summers working in the business and helping out part-time and so on. Went to college to to get educated in the type of work that the business did. Father said, you know, there are things I can't teach you because I'm busy in the business. So sent him off to a very large competitor to work and learn the ropes at a very large competitor. Right. And then the deal was the son was going to come back and take over the family business. And I was invited to the ceremony, so to speak at a, a big fancy club in, in downtown in this particular city. Uh, I remember very uh, clearly, it was, a, it was a stormy, snowy night in the winter and the club was basically empty because of the storm. And we were in this cavernous dining room and we had a lovely meal. And then the father, you know, tapped his glass and got up and said, uh, I have an announcement to make. And uh, then he went on to extol the virtues of his son and how happy he and his wife were that the son was going to take over the business. And today was the day they were basically going to make that formal. And I'm watching the son, whom I'd spoken to many times through the course of our work, and he's not reacting in what I would thought would have been some sort of a celebratory mood. And so I just stopped at one point and I said, to him, I think his name was David. I said, David, do you want to take over the family business? There was silence for a moment. And he said, no. He said, in fact, I never want to be what my father is. I respect what he has done, but I can't see myself doing this for the rest of my life. I want to be an airline pilot. <laughs> and, wow. so, and you can imagine the how distraught the parents were at that point. They can, you know, mother starts crying, father starts crying, I start crying. And it's all it's all about this. Uh, and so the mother finally says, you know, but David, we planned this. We've talked about this for so long. And this is, we thought this is what you wanted. And he said, no, mom, it's what you wanted, not what I wanted. And so if you're going to bring a family member into the business, they cannot feel a sense of obligation. They have to really want to do it. Yeah. Right. And we've had the opposite too, where children thought they were entitled to take over the yeah. business, but they weren't qualified. And then the family has a dilemma on how to deal with that and, and so on. I, I think where the 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 key component I and I say on the podcast and even I've written in my book is that you the family has to have conversations. They have you have to have conversations that matter. So in the case of, you know, with David and his his dad should have known 
or David should have spoke up and says, you know what, this is really not my vision. It might have been harder for David to go to his dad, but there should have been conversations over time to get a feeling or to know that this is not what he wanted. And and I think a lot of family members, and that's why a lot of you know uh, generational wealth sometimes don't go to this the third um, generation because the there hasn't been any sort of conversation about legacy and how how it's going to be uh conducted what what you know are we all on the same page and um it's it's it seems to be a problem with a lot of families that they don't have that concession uh conversation if i don't know if you watch the tv show since succession what is that show all about it's all about a guy who's yep. got this company he won't leave and he's got three knucklehead kids who don't <laughs> even know the business vying to try and take it over they may not even have and one great scene of uh season three and the, the final part is where they're you know trying to get you know to get him to go in one particular way but he's already outsmarted them and the son asked him well how much money do you need why are you doing this you know what about us and he goes out and says to them go out and go get your own and stuff this is my stuff <laughs> so there's no yeah. there's no conversation and it, I, I think whether it be you know, you know all of this that we're talking about estate planning being an executor succession planning there has to be some family conversations yeah yeah I, I, absolutely and there are so many so many examples uh well as you know if you can look at the statistics that uh you know the majority of family transitions uh 70 don't work out after something like a year, 90% after three years and so on. So you're absolutely right. Uh, outside the family, I think uh, in looking for mistakes that entrepreneurs make, um, I think it's sometimes being too hasty and not <clears throat> not applying sufficient due diligence to their p- potential buyer to, to ensure that A, they've made the right choice and that B, the conditions are, are right for them to sell to that person. And that that person is fully qualified to take over the business. Yeah. It's easy to get caught up when you're in a sales, uh, a selling situation, selling a business, and and to accelerate or minimize the due diligence process. You know, and I I was on the board of a company recent. Uh, well, I've been on board for many years, but it was recently sold to a large U.S. company, and I certainly learned my lessons about due diligence when the team of about six people from this uh, U.S. firm descended on our office for about two weeks Uh-oh. to go through absolutely everything, right? And we were just a small, you know, privately held company that, um, you know, they kind of did things, uh, you know, just the way we always did them. We did them kind of, you know, out of our back pocket and um, impromptu decisions and that. And they were the complete opposite, so. So when, when, the you know during the due diligence and they come in and they you know they see how you you and the rest of, you know who else they're they're buying into does at this some point does the owner say you know what again does ego get in the way saying you know what you're asking a lot of questions am I doing the right thing is there at some point where to do a a successful succession plan is that do you come to the realization okay I've made this decision and I'm just going to let the process play out. And, you know, hopefully at the end of the the end of the process, there's going to be someone's going to write me a big fat check. Yeah, I think a lot depends. I mean, right now, generally across the industry, commerce, across commerce and industry, we're in a seller's market. There are a lot more people looking to buy businesses than there are ready to sell them. 
So at least for the time being, sellers have the power. And so they can, you know, maybe dictate some of the terms a little more carefully and so on, or a little more forcefully, I should say. But as the process goes on, and by my observation, when you actually get into the negotiations, the power shifts over time from the seller towards the buyer, because the seller then begins to imagine life after the sale. And so they become more and more anxious to see it through, whereas the buyer can then start to put up alternate conditions or additional conditions or terms that are less favorable or even adjust the price and so on as they go through it. And you get to a point more often, I think, where the seller will concede rather than the buyer. Yeah. Because it's a seller's market, is it because, and, and you know, they want to see that the, the, the sale goes through. Does the, do you see a lot of people going through the process and they walk away or are they slowly being trans transitioned out, whereby they stay on stay in the company for a while to make sure there's a, a seamless transition that they could walk out the door after a year or two years or something like that? Or is it? Are, yeah. are you seeing most people? You know, this is my end date. I'm gone. Here's the keys. That comes down to the power again. I think you, as the seller, could say, "Look, I'll I'll stick around for thirty days, thirty months. Yeah, your choice." Uh, and I'll do this. And they can dictate the role that they will have, for example. In some cases, the buyer will insist that they stay around. We need you here for two years to transfer your um, intellectual property to us, stuff you've got in your head that isn't uh, you know, recorded somewhere, uh, to, to transition the customer relationships and all of that sort of stuff. So it really depends on, on the situation there. Uh, in some cases, it's better for the seller to exit quickly. Um, and that happens particularly when the uh, business that is for sale is not all that attractive. You know, it's either got some bad history or it's got some bad recent performance or it's got some quality control issues or whatever they are. And someone can come in and say, you know, new broom sweeps clean. This guy's gone. We're in, you know, come back and do business with us. Right. But in other cases, depending on the nature of the business, if it's a business, again, where there are intimate customer relationships with the owner, which is quite common, where the owner basically is the, the hub and, um, and the wheel of spokes for the business and everything goes through them, there's a danger in having that person exit too abruptly. So you're talking like, you know, financial advisors, um, accountants, lawyers, people who have built up a client base. And basically, when someone's buying it, you're basically buying that client base and the and the revenue that the the clients uh, bring in. So, do you see a lot of times where the the accountant, the lawyer, the financial advisor stays on for a while, and then they they transition out, they make the introductions with the to the best clients, that sort of thing. So, it's makes it a lot easier. Yes, for sure, for sure. That that's the better approach in most cases. Where, where it's a service business, where there are client, deep client relationships. That's the best thing that can happen. Um, what, what also surprises some entrepreneurs in those situations. So I'm um, just trying to think of a famous lawyer, one of the Greenspans, for example, here in Canada. So if, if um, they decided they were going to sell their law practice, right? Much of the goodwill that's built up inside that practice is not the corporate goodwill, it's the personal goodwill of the founders right. and so for many buyers they would look at that and say that's at risk because when that founder walks out the door all that personal goodwill goes 
And so a smart buyer is going to look for uh, an entrepreneurial opportunity where the business has developed its own standalone goodwill. And so that they can come in and replace the CEO or the senior executive or the founder without much concern. And that often surprises people. And you mentioned financial advisors. We do a lot of work with them um, who are the, you know, the big men in town, right? They're very well known and large networks and high profile and so on. Uh, And they're surprised that the very fact that they have such a high profile uh, sometimes uh, warrants a discount on price because of the risk that the clients will follow them out the door. So so that sort of deal in terms of succession planning will be different for someone who's got a, a client base versus someone who's got hard assets and, and the yeah, sales. If, if, so yeah. if, I, if I have a manufacturing concern, uh, company and you know I'm making uh, some sort of commodity type product where it's price that basically sells it, perhaps some good service, perhaps some relationships, then that's less of an issue than a personal service business like a lawyer, an accountant, even a dentist or a doctor or a financial advisor, obviously. Okay, so you know what, George, we're having this conversation. We've got entrepreneurs listening in and they're saying, well, you know what, these guys are making a lot of sense. I should be thinking about doing something like this. But what do you say to the entrepreneur who says, but I haven't got time for this. Clients to deal with. I've got sales. I've got a whole bunch of things to run the business and keep it going. I haven't got time for this sort of succession planning. What would you say to that person? Well, I have a fairly cheeky response to that um, because Be cheeky. I, I know from having done this for so many years that a good succession plan adds value to the business, right? It allows you to, as I said, be strategic. It allows you to do things between now and the exit date to maximize the value and so on. So I would say to someone like that, you know, if the opportunity comes along to increase the selling price of your business by some multiple or some percentage, 15, 25%, you know, one and a half times what you were planning through proper succession planning, would you find the time to do that? And yes, I'm nodding. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, of course. So, uh, of course, they would. And so, if succession planning could give you confidence in your retirement and that the legacy you want to leave, would you find time to work towards that? And yeah, I mean, I understand the world of being an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur, it's it's uh, it's a time pressured uh, environment, and demands come from all kinds of places, and so on. It's a matter of priority rather than time. Is there a certain length of time that someone should be in business before they should be thinking about uh, doing any sort of succession planning? Well, at a very high level, I, I'm a big uh, fan of um, the Seven Habits of Highly Success Highly Successful People. Is that the name of it? you know, start with the end in mind. And so by that definition, the day we start our business, we should be planning our exit. Uh, But more practically, uh, as I said earlier, you know, when we first started doing this, most of the planning was in a fairly short-term time horizon. 12 to 18 months was kind of the maximum. Now I think it's five to 10 years. And here's why. If you give us five to 10 years to plan the eventual disposition of your business and the transition of your life from from the business life to your personal life, we can be very strategic about that. Uh, what has to be done, how it's to be done, and so on. So I call that, a, you know, an opportunity to be inspirational. 
about how you want to uh, leave your business. Two to five years, it becomes less strategic and more tactical because there's just a lot to do in two to five years. And so I call the first one a strategy of inspiration. I call a two to five year time horizon, the strategy of perspiration. <laughs> but you know, you gotta find the buyer. You gotta set the business up for sale. You gotta go through the negotiation process. You gotta paper it. I mean, I've seen I've seen papering a deal after it was concluded take, take more than a year to get all the pieces in place and so wow. on. Right. Uh, one to two years, um, that's neither strategic nor tactical, it's reactive. And so I call that, you know, a strategy of desperation almost. So, um, and then finally, less than a year, I call that a strategy of hallucination. If you think you can get it all done and maximize the benefit and be satisfied with the outcome in a short period of time, uh, I think you're dreaming or delusional. But it, you know, it does happen. It does happen for reasons that you said that people are forced into yeah. Into this position. So who would be involved in a succession plan? You know, there's the business side and then the personal side. Do you is it the accountant? Is the lawyer who's who's involved in putting together this plan? Well, looking back on what we said earlier, uh, the stakeholders in your business, the important stakeholders. So whether they're shareholders or not is different than being a stakeholder. So your family is a stakeholder in your business because as an entrepreneur, there's an almost invisible line between your business and your personal life. So uh, one affects the other and to, to bring the family into the conversation, I think is very important. At, at a more formal or technical level, um, I always recommend that people put together some sort of succession advisory group, which would typically include a lawyer, accountant, perhaps their banker, their financial advisor, and maybe a, a transition coach of some sort, depending on the complexity of the situation. Uh, ideally, someone stands up and leads that, takes the role. They don't all have to meet every third Thursday to figure out what's next. They can just talk amongst themselves. But by having those varied views of the um, of the opportunity to to sell the business, I think makes a lot of sense. Again, you don't want to over engineer it for a small firm, but but generally, legal accounting, money management advice, I think is pretty important. And where does estate planning uh, play a role? Estate planning would be in there too. I'm sorry, I left that person out. Um, when I, I said financial management, I, it would have included someone to, to deal with tax and estate planning. Right? Okay. And with all respect to accountants, hopefully not the accountants doing the estate planning. <laughs> okay. I like that little job. We'll just keep, that was being cheeky. We'll just keep moving <laughs> on. So in your opinion, what should be the goal of a succession plan? What are we solving for? Well, the two big questions, am I ready to exit my business? And then second, is my business ready for me to exit? And if we can get good answers to those two questions, then we have confidence in the future. We have confidence that we'll have the retirement lifestyle that we want. We have confidence that we've left our business in good hands so that our legacy will be what it wants, to, what we want it to be. Now, you have had a long uh, career working with entrepreneurs with the, you know, the exit planning and the succession plan that we're talking about. Can you give an idea, share with how, you know, once the process is done, how does, what, what has been the feedback that you've heard from entrepreneurs having gone through the process? They're saying, George, we're done. What, what have they told you? <laughs> yeah, well, again, interesting, our, our timing on this, because just this morning, someone that we've we've gone through the process with, said, you know, when we started this, 
uh, I thought I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted to do. And I was just looking for confirmation. He said, but I would never have thought of asking half of the questions that you asked me. And so as a result of that, I've changed my mind completely about what I want. And so the value of the process is in just that. It's the exploration. It's it's a discipline around trying to find the right answer. So there's a sense of relief. And I'm, yeah, I'm... there's a sense of relief and confidence, you know, and, and you know, I, as I mentioned, and as you've referenced, if you're a someone who has an advisory role with uh, you're a lawyer, accountant, a financial advisor, banker, whoever it is, where someone is trusting you uh, to give them advice, and after you've given them that advice, they say to you, "I feel so much better as a result of our conversation or the work that we've done together." That just you know, warms your heart. Yeah, and and says that you've done a good job. I think an entrepreneur can have that same feeling all by themselves to say, I feel so much better as a result of having spent some serious time on this. Yeah, it, it's funny you should talk, we're, we're having this conversation about succession planning, actually a chapter in my book, when I had had the outline for it, I didn't have a chapter on the importance of succession planning. And I was part of a mastermind group. And so as I was writing the book, I would, you know, send out chapters, get feedback. And I, I don't know what happened. Uh, I just happened to put in, in a, in a survey question, do you have a succession plan if something was to happen? And it was went to over 100 entrepreneurs, and 70% came back and said no. And that made me think, oh, there's a reason to I have to put a chapter in the book about that. So the succession planning is an important area that entrepreneurs don't think about. And, you know, someone like you as a coach, bring out to get them uh, answer the questions that they hadn't really thought about to help their the next phase of their life be a lot easier after going through the process. Now, in our final moments, if there's one thing that our listeners should do immediately after listening to this, what would it be when it comes to succession planning? I often say to people, imagine this, that a year after you have exited your business, you're walking down the street and you bump into one of your old customers or clients. And you know, after the chit chat about um, you know, how what's it like to be retired, you must be playing a lot of golf and well, you've got a great tan and so on. What do you want them to say about the way that you left your business? Yeah, if they say to you, you know, that person that bought your business, I think they're an idiot. Um, how do you react to that? <laughs> or do you want them to say, wow, you really did a great job of transitioning your business. Thank you so much. So they've left a, a they've left a legacy and not a mess. Yeah. The next person. Yeah. yeah. Any final thoughts? There's some research out there that says that 70 percent of entrepreneurs feel some sense of remorse after they have exited their business. Now, it may be the remorse of not being the boss anymore. It may be the remorse of uh, not being in charge or the, whatever thrill they got from running their business. Uh, it may also be the fact that they haven't done a very good job of exiting the business and they wish they had done a better job. So. Uh, if, if you know, two out of three plus entrepreneurs feel that way, I think it's worth investing time to do it right. Well, George Hartman, the author of Exit is Not a Four-Letter Word, How to Transition Your Business from Profitability 
And proudly, I thank you so much for taking the time to be here on the Executor Health Podcast. I wish you all the best. And if people want to get in touch with you, find a little bit more about your coaching services, how can they do that? Our website is MarketLogics, M-A-R-K-E-T, MarketLogics, L-O-G-I-C-S dot C-A. Great. Once again, George Hartman, thanks for being here. David, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To catch up with all the latest from me, go to davideady.com. There you can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.